When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And welcome along to the latest episode of the Manchester's Red Podcast for the Manchester Evening News. I'm today's host, George Smith, and I'm delighted to say that I'm joined, as ever, by Samuel Luckhurst and Tyrone Marshall this Friday lunchtime. First of all, Samuel, how are you? Yep, very well, thank you, George. How are you? You looking forward to Wembley? Yeah, very much so. And uh, Ty, how about yourself? Everything good at your end? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you, George. I'm good. I'm looking forward to uh, what I'm hoping is going to be a thrilling playoff weekend with... Plenty of twists and turns, which I'm, I'm sure you'll embrace too. Yeah, it should be it should be interesting. Well, um, away from the playoffs and looking at the Premier League, the job is done, of course, for Manchester United. The mission has been accomplished. They will play Champions League football again next season. They officially got the job done last night, beating uh, Chelsea 4-1 at Old Trafford. Goals from Casemiro, Anthony Martial, Bruno Fernandes and Marcus Rashford got the job done. Um, there was some questionable defending in the first half. It must be said the uh, scoreline was not quite the way um, you would think the game went if you looked at the uh, the full-time score that evening. But United got the job done. It was quite convincing eventually. And Samuel, first of all, um, what did you make to what you saw last night? Uh, good question. Uh, Ch- Chelsea played reasonably well in, in phases, but I suppose the the overall game, it was a re- reliable gauge of where these two teams are at. Chelsea can't score. United do struggle to score, but they often do find a way of, of winning games. And it was it was a rarity for them to be 2-0 up at home uh, at Old Trafford last night. I think it was only the third time that's that's happened all season, possibly. And it did. You did sense that there was the possibility there that they could cut loose and maybe get their rec- uh, the biggest win of the season, and they they should have done in the end. And I say biggest win of the season four nil is, is still pretty modest in in terms of, of of thrashings, but at least I suppose for the supporters they saw United cutting loose. I don't think anybody really could ever see United losing that game. Ch- Chelsea did have a great chance with Mudrick at the start when it was nil-nil and uh, the other side of the Casemiro goal, Havertz had a header, but in the main, you, you don't you don't really have any faith in Chelsea to be taking those chances or, or posing much of a threat. And certainly when the team sheet dropped, I think that the, the confidence would have coursed around the stadium that United were, were going to get the job done and... Uh, they, they, it never seemed in, in, in any doubt, I don't think. I mean, 
in terms of you know, deadlines or, or trying to get your work done as, as quickly as possible for, for your own for your own um, sake uh, my my piece for the game was pretty much done um, by by full time it was just the Wi-Fi, unfortunately, at Old Trafford, since they changed the Wi-Fi, the Wi-Fi has got worse uh, on our laptops, at least. Uh, so that was that was pretty much the only hiccup all night, as as far as um, as far as the whole evening was concerned. Never mind for United. Yeah, it certainly was. I mean, the first half you obviously touched on there. Chelsea, they they had some very presentable opportunities, and on another day, a better side probably would have punished United for that, but. In the end, they got the job done relatively comfortably. Obviously, they went four goals in front until Ralph Felix pulled one back. The second half, there was a lot more control and balance the way United played, I thought. Yeah, there was. There was. They, they, they were probably fortunate to be 2-0 up at, at half-time. Um, they scored that early goal through Casemiro, and then after that, they were they were second best for most of the half, really. I think it was once that... I think it was just before they scored. We had the Sky... Um, Graphics and footage on the the TVs in the uh, in the press box, and there was one stat that said revealed basically the stats since Casemiro's goal, and I think Chelsea had something like sixty five percent possession, five shots to two, three times as many touches in the opposition box, and there was a good spell in the first half where they did look really dangerous, and Havertz and Mudrick both missed really good, really good, really presentable chances, so. The, you know, there was a good spell there where you thought Chelsea are right in this game and, and probably deserved to be level, but that second goal just took the stuffing out of them. It was obviously a very young Chelsea team, I think the youngest they've ever they've ever fielded in the Premier League era. Um, they're obviously devoid of confidence, so I think the second goal did kill them off. And United started the second half on the front foot and they were more in control. They were less open at the back. There were still moments for Chelsea. And even the goal, you know, conceding that goal when you're 4-0 up is, is pretty poor. It was a really soft goal to concede. There was no pressure whatsoever in midfield. The defence backed off and backed off and backed off. And not only backed off, they, they basically walked away from the goal to give Felix a, a clear shot towards De Gea. Um, you know, it didn't matter in the grand scheme of things, but we all know what Ten Hag's like now. And I'm sure he'll be looking at that today thinking you've got to do better there. Uh, whatever the whatever the game situation, you can't concede goals that that are that soft because it was too simple for for Felix. I thought, um, but no, the second the second half was a better performance than the first. And I mean, United could have scored a lot more goals than than four. They were dominant in the second half, and even after they'd conceded, they could have scored another three. And there's only about five minutes of the game left, including injuries. I think they missed three one on ones after Chelsea had pulled one back, and you know the game was stretched at that point. It had lost all sense of. Um, control and balance and, and United were just cutting through Chelsea at will so they could have scored a lot more goals and yeah the, the second half was was a good performance and a, you know an encouraging result given the, the status of the season and, and what's coming up for United on the horizon Yeah definitely and it was just a pity that one moment kind of put a down on the whole evening and that was of course Anthony's early exit in the first half obviously went down in quite a significant amount of pain and discomfort and obviously taken off on a stretcher um, Samuel, you wrote last night after Eric Ten Hag had spoken that he described it as a serious injury. Obviously, we don't know the full extent of it just yet. But I think, you know, reading between the lines, it, it doesn't look great ahead of the FA Cup final next week for Anthony, does it? No. the Sometimes people see a player like Anthony go down and they think that he, he may be feigning injury. But it did seem pretty genuine at the time. And I don't think he was necessarily appealing for a foul against Shalabar because the tackle was... Uh, it was it was completely legitimate. There wasn't an issue with that, but he was clearly in in some discomfort. And 
certainly when he, tr- he I mean, he tried to get up to his feet, uh, which was the medical staff probably should have told him not to even bother doing that because it was so clear that his race was run at that point and that was the confirmation there that he couldn't even put any weight on it so it's it's a big it's a big issue looking ahead to the cup final because i think he would have been one of the players who whose place was nailed on even though he didn't start against city in the the january derby when united won and anthony came on at half time i think that day but he's the only he's pretty much the only left-footed four they've got available and he would have certainly helped the balance of that team and I think we're all we've just I think we discussed this earlier in the week about the likelihood of Fernandez playing on the wing now you have to decide which wing is he going to play on um I think maybe if Anthony had been if, if Anthony had been fit you'd have just thought logically Fernandez will play off the left and maybe Rashford up front uh, I, I just can't see a scenario where where it's Ericsson and Casemiro as as the midfielders against City's midfield because City's midfield is so brilliant. Casemiro and Ericsson have been excellent, but I, I still think that there's going to be a tweak to that front six and that does, of course, impact on the wings and it's, it's, it's a place that's up for grabs now and given how well he actually did from the right last night, you would possibly go with Sancho and, and go with Fernandes on the left and it's it's strange how United and Sancho have come full circle in that for all those years he was identified as the the, the panacea to their right wing eels. Then he comes in and he he only performed last season as when, when he had that stint on the left under Ralph Rangnick. He starts on the left um, at the start of this season, and he's he has not had a successful season. He's 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 underwhelmed to put it um, to put it politely. But he did play quite well when he switched to the right last night. He was one of United's weakest players until he laid that one on the plate for Martial. And then he had a pretty reasonable second half, pretty good second half, much better decision making and much quicker as well. So it's you know it's it's a, it's a good as, as Frank Lampard said yesterday in his embargo section. It's a good headline, you know, Jaden Sancho coming up against his former club in an FA Cup final, and and maybe that's what Ten Hag will play on. But it's however flaky Anthony can be and however mercurial he can be, his his probable absence from that final is is a real big loss for United because I think they would have had a much, much better balance with him in the team. Yeah, you've mentioned there, Jane Sancho obviously played a key hand in, in United's second goal for Martial last night, but the, uh, the other man that played a significant role in that was Casemiro with a wonderful little chip pass into his path to tee up Martial for the second goal and obviously he scored the first one. Ty... Casemiro was brought in to, to steady the ship in midfield and completely, you know, transform the way United looked in the middle. But it's now 13 direct goal contributions mm. for him this season. It's quite a quite a tally. I think only Marcus Rashford and Bruno Fernandes have actually got more in the United team now. He's delivering, you know, goal-scoring expertise that we didn't really expect. He's chipping in at big moments in big games. And it only adds to the quality of... A very, very, very good footballer, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. There's only four players in the team who scored more goals than him. And then, like you say, you throw in the assists as well. I was doing a piece on him at the game yesterday and, and looked up his numbers and knew he got seven goals, but was surprised to see those six assists. And, of course, he won't get an assist for Martial's goal, but it was entirely down to him. His contribution <laughs> to that goal was bigger than Sancho's hand, Martial, really. Sancho timed his run well, but it was... a uh, a fairly easy ball across to Martial, although we waited it well, and Martial obviously tapped it in. But it was Casemiro that that basically cracked open the game and, and cracked open the pitch for United with that that clever little dinked ball. And yeah, he's he's been excellent these last two weeks. And 
I, I thought since his latest suspension he'd been below par actually I didn't think he'd been playing particularly well in, until this week but you know there's something quite fitting about him scoring the two goals to get United over the line as well and we all know that when he was watching them lose 4-0 at Brentford in August he he basically said to, to his agents his representatives tell them I'll fix this you know he, there was no thoughts of backing out he wanted a new challenge and he, he basically has fixed it in the final week of the season, scoring those two goals, get back in the Champions League. It's certainly where he'll feel he'll belong, having won it five times. And he is, you know, he's, he's a huge player for United on and off the pitch. And I think if, if they could have expected maybe what he's delivered on the pitch, maybe not the goal contributions, like you say, but the quality he brings to midfield, the passing, the breaking up attacks... His, his leadership and his character and his personality, I think, are absolutely huge for this team. And that was an area they were lacking in last year. It's something Ten Hag's touched on a few times this season that his his analysis of the squad, as he often calls it, showed that they needed players like that in the summer. And he just ticks he ticks every box. And I think there was when they signed him, I think we we all had you know a few a few doubts spending that money on a a thirty year old. Real Madrid might have wanted to keep him, but they'd have they'd have snapped United's hand off for that money when they just signed Tuchemeni. Um but you know, Casemiro's a better player than Tuchemeni is at the moment. He can't get a kick in the Real Madrid team really and it's it's been money well spent for United in terms of, of what he delivers and, and what he's continuing to do, to deliver on the big stage. And it is it's the the classic trope that big 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 name players turn off for big games and he's done it this week. He scored the first goal in the Carabao Cup final. He, you know, he is he is incredibly valuable to, to United and certainly one of the most important two or three players in that team, I would say. Yeah, definitely. And just lastly on Casemiro's attacking output, I mean, we're all surprised by what he's delivered this season in terms of the numbers in that sense. But having actually looked back at the stats, he actually got 13 direct goal contributions two seasons ago for Real Madrid as well. So he, he has... You know, almost, even though he's probably caught a few people by surprise, he has got a bit of a reputation for chipping in from the engine room and, and delivering. But just lastly, Sam, you are on Casemiro. Obviously, the vote is currently open. I'm putting you on the spot here, perhaps, for the Player of the Season award. W- would he be the man that gets your vote with how the way he's transformed this team overall? Yeah, uh, I was asked that on MUTV on Tuesday. And it was I suppose it was a good sign for United season that... Uh, the other panellists gave different answers. There was a shout for Martinez, a shout for Rashford. Um, ben Thornley gave a shout to Aaron Wambasaka, which I thought was pretty um, uh, left field and not something I agree with. But I can, you know, Ben had a bad injury when he was younger, unfortunately, and I think he probably empathises a bit with Wambasaka having a setback and then coming back as well as he has done. But it's still pretty preposterous to uh, bracket him with. Martinez, um, Casemiro, Rashford and the like. But Casemiro's just been colossal. Um, He's he's a colossal presence. I think that you go back to the Chelsea game at Stamford Bridge and on a day, that was a game, of course, where Ronaldo uh, had had been dropped from the squad and they they need a goal in a game where they'd wasted a couple of very good chances in the first half in danger of losing it. And then... There's another five times Champions League winner who gets in the penalty area, rises above everyone to head in a late goal to to gain an, an invaluable point and and you know really lift morale as well. You saw it in the celebrations that day. Uh, he's it's just privileged to watch him really. Uh, you there are still a lot of players out there that when you're when you go to games you are genuinely excited about watching them and. Casemiro is, is one of those players. It, I always found it 
it was going to be fascinating just observing him this season. But the way he conducts himself, the way he carries himself, his presence, just his his, his positional sense as well. It's it's just best in class, really. And yeah, he he would he would get my vote, which may may seem a little harsh harsh on Marcus Rashford, given that he's he scored thirty goals this season. But yeah, Casemiro, I think with if if United hadn't have signed him, I don't think they'd get in the the top four. They needed an influential midfielder, uh, a defensive midfielder, and in the end, they've got someone who's who's got that steel of Keane but he's also got got the silkiness of skulls and, and Keane was a great passer of the ball as well so uh, it's it's not it's not a ridiculous comparison it's not daft to, to bracket Casemiro with Keane in terms of their their qualities as midfielders in in different generations yeah definitely and just lastly to wrap up this section on on last night's game Ty Samuel mentioned there Marcus Rashford 30 goals for the season now he only scored five last season. It's been a remarkable transformation for him and the first United player in, in 10 years to hit the Yeah, absolutely. And I probably just about agree with Samuel that Casemiro is player of the season. But I think Rashford is, is Ten Hag's triumph for the season. You know, we, we all said when he came in that one of the key areas he could improve is is basically improving players. And I said a few times that I think, I think that a lot of players in this squad have suffered from a lack of elite level coaching and world-class coaching when you look at what's available at... Liverpool and Manchester City and what was it, Tottenham under Pochettino. United never really had that under Solskjaer for all his strengths. As well as Michael Carrick and Kieran McKenna have gone and done in the Football League. You know, they, they were inexperienced coaches at United when dealing with the level of those players. They certainly didn't get any of that under Ranić, And I think there was always a case to be made that some players would improve for, for Ten Hag's eye for detail, for his, his coaching ability, for the ability of his coaches and... Rashford especially is is the poster boy for that, basically, that he looks a much, much better player for having clear instructions on the training ground, clear areas to improve his game, you know, a a defined role in the team, whether it's on the left, whether it's through the middle, he knows what he's doing, he knows how he fits into the structure of everything, and, you know, I think he's benefited from that, and clearly he deserves a lot of credit himself for the way he's raised his game, and I don't think any of us saw him scoring 30 goals this season, but... I do think as well that he is, you know, he is a real triumph for for what Ten Hag could bring to to this team beyond beyond coming in and spending 225 million in a, in a transfer window. He was always going to have to come in and improve players, and Rashford is the prime example of of what he can do in that regard. Yeah, definitely. He certainly had a remarkable season, has Marcus Rashford, and uh, he's been superb. To be fair, and that concludes part one of this Manchester is Red podcast. Do rejoin us in part two where we'll have a look at off-field situations and look ahead to the upcoming summer transfer window. Welcome back to part two to the Manchester is Red podcast. As we said there at the end of part one, we're going to look at the transfer window now and Samuel we, we found out earlier this week that the window will officially open on the 14th of June, just under three weeks' time now. And you've done a story this morning regarding Harry Kane and um, the situation with him. And Tottenham basically are going to be reluctant to sell him, as we expected. United are now assessing other options just in case Plan A doesn't come off. I think this is all the situation that we expected, really, in the sense that Harry Kane is not going to be easily extracted from the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium this summer for United, is he? No, and yet, strangely, United should be 
just just offering Daniel Levy hundred million pounds, take it or leave it. See see what happens there. I mean, he he is Kane is Ten Hag's preferred, is his main target uh, up front, and Ten Hag deserves that backing after the season he's he's presided over. So weirdly, there's a way of actually possibly getting this deal done quickly because if Levy were to say no to a hundred million pounds. Joe Lewis, uh, his his um, pal at Tottenham and, and Enoch might actually be tapping him on the shoulder, saying, "Actually, you've got to say yes to that because that is that that is great money for a twenty nine year old who's out of contract next season, and we're not going to have any European football uh, next season at this rate." It, I mean, Tottenham are eighth, so it looks like they might not get in the in the Europa Conference League next season. Um, Kane has got to has got to be ruthless if he really wants it. He's he's got to be starting to make him moves now. I think the most clinical finish from him all all year would have been to have sacked his brother as his agent because that's always that that was the issue a couple of years ago. Uh that the way they went about it was was amateurish. I mean Kane did that interview with Gary Neville and he's I think he even said ultimately I'll I'll have the final say it's my decision. And you thought reading that like have you met Daniel Levy? Are you familiar with with how he works? It's it's always going to be Daniel Levy's final call. But you've got to exert the pressure on him. And Tottenham are in the pretty much the exact same. In fact, they're in a worse situation than they were two years ago when they sacked a manager. Uh, Ryan Mason ended the season as caretaker manager. They're out of the Champions League. They at least got some European football. They, I think they was it the Conference League. They might have qualified for that season. This season they haven't even got that, and they're now scrambling around looking for a manager who actually wants to wants to manage them. So. I mean, as I said, Kane has got to exert pressure if he really wants wants out of Spurs. If he doesn't, then he'll, he'll either sign a new contract or he'll he'll leave in a free next year, and he won't be short of takers then because he's he's too brilliant a player to to have no um, no no esteemed clubs looking to sign him. But United have got to try there. I don't think they can just you know get some feedback from Daniel Levy or from Tottenham side and decide well. You know, it's probably not worth it now. I think they really do need to test the waters there and see what can happen because Ten Hag wants him. And if Ten Hag can't get him, fair enough, they'll have a contingency plan. There are a lot of strikers that they've been looking at. But that team needs a proven goal scorer, a high quality goal scorer. And there aren't that many that are attainable this summer. There are a lot of strikers on the market, but there are a lot that you're looking as possible potential buys. I mean, Moani at Eintracht Frankfurt, his, his goal-scoring record has been decent this season, but would you be pulling out all stops to get him into United's team? Probably not. Same for Goncalo Ramos or Mohamed Kudos, uh, but one's at Benfica, the other's at Ajax. The, the, the leap of going from one of those leagues to the Premier League to a team who could finish this season in third, so there'll be some expectation from supporters that can you can you challenge for the league title next season? That is a huge ask. It, it did work with Lissandro Martinez, uh, but it's, and, and this is no disrespect to Martinez whatsoever, because I think he's been one of the signings of the season, but it's easier to be a defender in the Premier League than to be an attacker, to be a goal scorer. And United needs someone who's not just going to come in and score 15 goals or something like that. They want them to be getting 30 goals like, like Mark, Marcus Rashford has done this season. So there are a lot of variables at play, as there always are. And 
maybe this will work in United's favour. Uh, maybe this will actually unnerve Kane to get his act together. He, he did put in that statement a couple of years ago that he didn't want to jeopardise his relationship with Spurs fans, having just jeopardised it by the way um, he conducted it with, with that, as I said, that interview with Gary Neville. But I think Tottenham fans would probably be more understanding now. He's their greatest goal scorer. They got two more seasons out of him. Look at the sheer disarray the, the club is in at the moment. Why, if you are Harry Kane, one of the best strikers in the world, and he's been one of the best strikers in the world for seven or eight years, why would you why would you stick around? Um, but Daniel Levy is an extremely, extremely stubborn man, and it is often to the detriment as, of, of Spurs as well, which... I think it's something that doesn't quite get the amount of attention that that it perhaps should do, but maybe, maybe it will now. And we we've seen the amount of um, you know, the, the the calls for Levy to 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 leave Spurs at, at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. But I I think when we discussed a couple of months ago, whenever it was, who would we go for in person on a personal basis, the strikers to get? I don't think any of us said Kane because. You just saw a saga playing out that if that deal was ever going to get done, it would get done in August, well into August, and that compromises your preparations for the season. United need a couple of key players in for pre-season, the start of pre-season training. Um, They're in a different situation compared to last year. They're in a stronger position to buy, so they've they've got to raise you know they've they've got to raise the bar again. As Samuel's mentioned there. The elite level number nine is what United need this summer. Harry Kane obviously is the ultimate target, but Champions League qualification has now been secured. So that's going to boost United's chances of of getting alternative attainable targets. Obviously, Victor Osimhen of Napoli is kind of second in line, most people think. Do you think he's the man that United should turn to as the alternative if Spurs don't? Yeah, I think he's certainly a very viable option. He looks, you know, he looks... Premier League ready. You look at the way he plays and his pace and his physicality. He looks like he'd fit in in the Premier League. There's always a chance he'd take it. Take a year to settle. It'd take a bit of time to settle. Um, but he's he's younger than Kane. I, I I do think that's something that's got to be taken into equation. Um, you know, Ten Ten Hag wants Kane, and he would definitely add to this team. But for how long is is probably the question, and, and Ten Hag does seem to like signing players with experience. I know when he was appointed, the, there was the idea certainly online of oh, I've got a coach who who you know, loves young players and prioritises young players. But when you look at his transfer history, even at Ajax, he, he you know he signs older players a lot. Um, he clearly sees that as as a route to getting experience, and certainly at Ajax relied on on the academy. I think you know. Like some, I mean, if you put 100 million down for Tottenham next week, I think it would probably get done. I'm just not sure it's a, a wise idea to spend 100 million pound on a 30 year old Harry Kane the year after you spent 70 million pound on a 30 year old Casemiro. And I know I've just said how good Casemiro's been, but the reality is that team, as good as it then looks, is two to three years away from the spine basically being need to be rebuilt. You need a new goalkeeper. Varane's going to be 31 then, I think. You'd have Casemiro, 31. Eriksen, 31. Fernandes, 29. Kane, 30. It's a pretty short shelf life, for the shelf life for that team. And if they didn't win the Premier League or the Champions League within three years, I think you'd have to say it's a failure, really, if if that's what they do and they do sign Kane. And he will, you know, he is as close to a guarantee of gold as you can get. I don't, I don't doubt that at all. And we were talking leaving the stadium last night about how many points would he would he add to United? And I think minimum, you'd say, he'd probably add 10 points. But 
I don't think on its own it, it wins in the league. It wins United the league, and I think they they need you know they need an improvement in midfield as well. They need a right back. They need a goalkeeper. So you have to bear all that in mind. And it's I think I do think Kane would be the best signing. I'm just not sure it's he's a hundred million pound signing given his contract situation. I think United would also be setting themselves up for issues down the line with with that sort of thing. We know everyone sees them as a soft touch in the transfer market and. They see him as a soft touch in the transfer market because they pay £80 million in cash in one go for Harry Maguire. And if they then pay £100 million for a player out of contract in 12 months, I think they'll just continue to get fleeced every every transfer window. So there is, you know, it is a balancing act, but you can certainly see why Ten Hag wants him. And, and like Samuel says, United have got to try for him. There's no point walking away now. They have got to try. They can easily set themselves a deadline of the end of June. And if it's not happening, you walk away then. There will be alternatives on the table. Um, but yeah, they they've they've certainly got to push for him, I think, and try and get him at a at a reasonable price. Yeah, they definitely have, and obviously the striker is, as we all know, is what they need more than anything else this summer. There's also a need to to strengthen the squad overall in in terms of depth. Samuel, there's been a lot of links in the build up to the Chelsea game regarding Mason Mount. Obviously, his contract at Stamford Bridge is up at the end of next season. Obviously, there's an opportunity for somebody there to potentially buy him at a cut price deal this summer do you think he's the sort of play United should be going for this summer he's obviously more of a number 10 than you know your number 8 central midfielder Bruno Fernandes has played a hell of a lot of football this season not really had anybody to rotate with because of Donny van der Beek's injury since January do you think Mount would be a sensible signing if the price would be right no uh, I don't think he's what they need they need a they need a central midfielder who is, is of the profile of of Mason Mount. I mean, the, the timing of that story coming out this week, it's its not a coincidence that it came out in the week that United uh, w- were playing Chelsea. And really, it suits Mount to be linked with as many p- possible clubs that he could he could join this summer. There, there's been a lot of noise around Liverpool. There's a bit of noise around Arsenal as well. And it strengthens his bargaining position on the off chance that Chelsea meet his his salary demands uh, i think he's he's after something like 250 grand a week because that's what reese james is on so the precedent has been set and and mount is entitled to you know to to similar remuneration and that that story appeared uh in in one of the newspapers this week from from a london-based journalist as well so i think if you I think fans, some fans anyway, can can read between the lines, and it wasn't a coincidence either that Mount's uh, long long time friend Declan Rice, the following day, was linked to United by by the same reporter in the same in the same newspaper. Not questioning the the validity of the stories or the the source of the stories whatsoever, but that is how it often works, and they are two players who want to be you know what want to be linked to the best teams for different reasons Declan Rice is going to leave West Ham if that's not this summer it's going to happen next summer with Mount I still wouldn't be too sure of him leaving Chelsea you'd imagine that Pochettino's first port of call when he eventually takes over at Chelsea as it looks like he's going to still seems to be taking an eternity for that to happen officially but his first port of call would probably be to try and ensure that Mount stays and um, make him the fulcrum of, of that side because Mount is a player who is very much aligned with Pochettino when you go off the the, the relatively young English players that he he worked with and he hot housed and 
and he he made into the the players that they were at Tottenham. I think if you think of Eric Dyer and Deli Ali, they they played the best football of their career under Pochettino, and Chelsea must hope that he can have a similar impact on Mount to the, and and to the extent that the effect is so great that it it, it results in in Mount staying at at Chelsea. And the other issue with United and them possibly signing a player who plays in a role that they they do not need really that's not a pressing concern anyway is that United do not have the money for this player that player and the other player currently they've got money set aside for a striker but frankly they've they've been pleading poverty every now and then as to what else they can do and a lot of that will depend on outgoings you look at that United squad they've they've got to sell players and they're not the only ones that there's so they've actually in quite a similar situation to Chelsea uh, who've got you know, a very bloated squad they've not even got Champions League revenue next season they've spent an obscene amount of money in the last two transfer windows they need they need to recoup um, money from from sales and with the profitability and the sustainability rules that are in the Premier League there is a more pressing need for clubs to sell now and also we've not even touched upon the takeover situation or the ownership situation. So it's it's fanciful. There was one report in the week and United almost laughed it off where United were linked with Kane, Mount and Rice. I mean, that is not... They are not going to sign those three players in a single summer. Uh, I don't know, you know, if, if, if that did happen, then... I might as well. I, I will tender my resignation. I, I just that will not happen. I, I don't know in what reality they sign three prominent England players in a single summer at a cost of what? I mean, those three players. That's two hundred fifty million pounds, nearly three hundred million pounds. Just where where do they get the money for that um, currently? And even if with a, with the takeover. They may well spend that, but then they've they've got to they've got to sell players as well. So it would be extraordinary if 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 they did sign Rice, Kane, and Mount in the same window. But it would I mean the the odds on that have got to be as long as Leicester winning the title in at the start of the twenty fifteen sixteen season. Um, so I I can see why Mount appeals to an extent to Ten Hag and the managers he's worked under. They've all raved about him. They've all really enjoyed working with him. But he operates higher up the pitch. And United, someone who's more of a schemer, um, operating from deep because they're, they're currently dependent on Casemiro and Eriksen, who've both been very good this season. Uh, but they're both 31. And it says a lot that when they came up against City in January, they tweaked that. They moved Ericsson further forward and Casemiro had Fred next to him. That shows you that Ten Hag knows they need to they need to re-energise the midfield. And he's certainly not talking about Fred or McTominay. He's talking about an external recruit. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, you've mentioned there Rice, Mount Kane. It's it's never gonna happen in a million years in one in one transfer. And obviously the striker, whoever they get, is gonna take up a large chunk of their summer budget. Ty, do you think in that sense, United potentially, could they go down a similar route, similar route to what they did with Christian Eriksen last summer? Obviously, everybody knows Yuri Tillemans is, is one player that's out of contract this summer. Leicester looking very likely to be relegated. He'll, he'll almost certainly leave even if they do survive on the final day. Would he be somebody that I think United could take a point on on a free transfer? 
Yeah, um, maybe. I mean, there doesn't seem to be a lot of noise about Tielemans at, um, at, at, at the moment in terms of where he's going to go. And I don't think he's had a great season. In fact, I think he's had a pretty pretty poor season, really. I don't. There was a lot of excitement around him maybe 18 months, two years ago, but that seems to have, have quietened down considerably now. And I don't you know. I'm just not sure he's really the, the upgrade required. I think he's... You know, is, is Yuri Tielemans any better than Fred? I'm not, I'm not really sure he is. I think he's probably of a, a similar level. Um, you know, I know it's a free transfer and, and would save you some budget, but, you know, unless they sell McTominay, United aren't short of midfielders. They just need better players in there, I think. And what they really need is, like I said, a younger, a younger player in there who can come in for, for Ericsson, especially at times. Um, and and offer something, and I don't I don't know if Tielemans is that player, but like we say, you know, Declan Rice might be that player, but he's not not really going to be attainable in the same window as they're pushing for a striker. So it it's not it's not easy to do, but I think that has to be the target rather than taking a chance on on another another free transfer. I think they need to be looking in the twenty four and underage bracket for a for a central midfielder who can come in and and compete with Ericsson and eventually, I guess, take his place. Yeah, it certainly promises to be interesting, no doubt. Frankie de Jong's name will be the one that uh, comes up in the in the coming weeks. But that concludes part two of this Manchester is Red podcast. Do rejoin us in part three, where we'll look ahead to the final day clash against Fulham at Old Trafford. Welcome back to part three of the Manchester is Red podcast. As I said a few moments ago, Fulham are United's final opponents for this season's Premier League campaign. United, of course, wrapping up the top four berth on Thursday night against Chelsea. And I suppose the big question ahead of this one, Samuel, is with the cup final only just over a week away now. How many changes does Eric Ten Hag make to his starting lineup? I think that's going to be the main talking point of this game, isn't it? He's very rarely done weakened or shad- weakened teams or, or shadow squads this season as well. Uh, I mean, Ericsson and Casemiro started against Reading in the, in the FA Cup in January and Reading are going to be in, in League One next season, hopefully not, not playing against Sheffield Wednesday. But you would think that for this game, he would make... He would make changes given that the, the cup final is, is is six days away from from the Fulham game. I don't think there's any chance of Rafael Varane starting. Ten Hag has he has been one player who sometimes going into games it's it's signposted that he's going to get a rest for for his own conditioning. And the gap between the Chelsea game and the City game of it's it's only nine days. That's that's not a long long time. It's not. Uh, a period of time where players are likely to be rusty when they they line up at Wembley. You you've got to do what's what's best for the team, and so Varane, Eriksson, Casemiro, I I don't think should be anywhere near the starting side on on Sunday. Fernandez has this crazy mentality that he just has to play as play every game and play every minute of every game. He he wouldn't have been happy about coming off last night even. Rashford and Garnacho could do with starts um, to to properly prepare them for Wembley next week. Garnacho has been unfortunate not to have started in the last two games. Uh, Rashford, I, I suspect that was part of Ten Hag's strategy that he would bring in Rashford against Chelsea and then start him against Fulham ahead of starting in the cup final. In the end, he came on a hell of a lot earlier against Chelsea than than anyone would have liked, and I don't think there's going to be any need to 
risk Luke Shaw. I mean, we, we don't know the extent of his back problem, but if he's got a problem on a Thursday, there's you wouldn't be playing him on a Sunday when you've got an FA Cup final the next Saturday. And it, it also might be might be Harry Maguire's Manchester United farewell, which is probably I think that's probably the first time that has even been mentioned. He's he's very very much um, he's he's someone who's not really getting any mentions in press conferences, uh, Ten Hag press conferences these days, because everybody I think has realised that the situation for him is is pretty straightforward. He he has to leave in the summer, and 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 Gareth Southgate said earlier in the week when he announced his England squad that that situation essentially cannot continue. I think it was all right for him this season because the World Cup starts in November, so it was just three months of a peripheral role, but a whole year, well, it would be longer than that, United, um, as part of two years of having a peripheral role going into a Euros. I, I'm not sure Maguire would be able to get away with that and, and keep his place in the England team. Yeah, definitely. It feels like it could be a, like you said, it could be his farewell on, on Sunday afternoon, but Ty, looking in regards to the, the situation with the right wing, and obviously Anthony's injury has thrown a potential spanner in the works in regards to this game against Fulham, because you would have thought he probably would get a rest on the, um, for the City game at Wembley on or a week on Saturday. Do you think there's an outside chance perhaps that Facundo Palestri could maybe come in and get his first Premier League start? Um, not something I'd really... I mean, that's no. the first I've thought of it, but yeah, I... I... I can't see it, and well, like we've seen from Ten Hag, he doesn't strike you as the type of person to make wholesale changes. Um, I still think he'll value finishing third ahead of fourth. I, I agree with Samuel. I think Garnacho will start, um, but I think I think he'd probably start Sancho again on the right and play Rashford through the middle, I guess, and then I'd probably look to bring Vegost on after an hour, something like that for for Rashford. Um, and yeah, I think you can afford to to play a few a few of those players. I. I think Fernandez will play. We've said this before. I think Fernandez will play right on the right in the cup final. So I think it essentially leaves one of Sancho and Martial to start um, in that front three with with Rashford and Fernandez. So you can probably afford to to start Sancho and give Martial some time off the bench. Um, I think Fred will start because I think he's the one that's probably going to come into midfield in the cup final. So you want to get him up to speed ahead of Wembley. Um, but I still don't think we'll see loads of changes. I agree with the three Samuel mentioned, Varane, Casemiro and Eriksen. I, I wouldn't see any sense in starting them. Wouldn't surprise me if Ten Hag started at least one of them, maybe Casemiro, um, but I, I wouldn't be. And then, yeah, a lot of the team with the injuries picks itself. Like we say, Malassia is going to start ahead of Shaw. You'd probably make a change at right back, I guess, just to just to rotate. But I still think he'll go fairly strong. And Palestri had that, that kind of bright spell in January and February when he's coming off the bench, but... It feels like he's been nowhere near it again recently, and I think he was the one to to drop out of the squad completely yesterday, um, when when Rashford was back in. So, yeah, I'd I'd be surprised if he was uh, if he was considered for a start. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? We know Eric Ten Hag. Whatever the game, whatever the opposition, this hunger and determination to win. It is very rare, as Samuel said earlier on, that he will name a weakened mm. eleven. And I wouldn't bet against him sticking with his strongest eleven. Yeah, on great. Sunday, I know he might make one or two, one or two tweaks, but I wouldn't bet against it being as you were on Thursday night. But whether they finish third or fourth, Samuel, we know the main objective has been achieved. Just you know, when you think back to what happened at Brentford back in August, bright on the opening day as well, 
I don't think many United fans probably would have given United much of a hope of getting this done with a game to spare when they've really been in command of the destiny for, for quite some time. Yeah, Ten Hag has done an excellent job this season. There have been a lot of very good uh, jobs by managers in, in, in the top flight. Steve Cooper's done brilliantly to uh, you know, really suffer through that season with Nottingham Forest, all the, the grief he's had to put up with above him and, and he's kept his job and uh, he's he's done himself no harm whatsoever ahead, ahead of possibly managing England in the future. I think he has to be in, in the conversation with that. Udai Emery's done brilliantly since he came in at Villa. Uh, Arteta, whatever you say about Arsenal, they, they did choke in the running, but Arteta has overseen a fine season. Nobody, no right-minded individual, I think, would have had Arsenal down to finish second when the predictions were being published back in in July and August and I hold my hands up I, I thought at the start of the season I'd, I'd United down to finish fifth I just thought that given the quality elsewhere and this this period of transition that it, it was a real tall order for them to to finish in the top four and th- those predictions can be uh, yeah, they could be pretty treacherous anyway but sometimes especially given how early the season started and United had signed about I think half of half of their summer signings had been made by that point. They hadn't signed Casemiro or Anthony, and um, I suppose we you know, we can mention Martin Dubravka as well. He, he was among the, the six who came in, but they were if if they'd say they'd ended the transfer window with with that squad that they had against Brighton or other players um, that, that that were available and that were unavailable, they would not have finished in the top four. I don't think. I think they might have even struggled to finish above Brighton, but. They made they made a couple more key additions. That that's why Casemiro has been so pivotal, and really since he got into the team in October, they've had a modern midfield. They've, as I said, they although their away record has been pretty poor this season, they have had also games away from home where they've they've been a hell of a lot better just by his presence on the pitch. But it, it always goes back to the manager, and I I said before the League Cup final, that even if United don't win a trophy this season, they'll have still made the right decision with Ten Hag. And it's so far so good. It's been a it's been a good season. It will be a great season if they do uh, win the FA Cup, given what's at stake there for, for themselves and, and for City. And really, Ten Hag, he's, he's impressed at just about every level that... A modern manager needs to. He's he's a good man manager. He's a disciplinarian. Uh, he doesn't take any grief from the egos, and that that's been a big big aspect of his management. I think one of certainly before I spoke to someone who knows Ten Hag, my, one of my reservations was that can he handle the egos in that dressing room? He dealt with Cristiano Ronaldo. He, he saw off Cristiano Ronaldo. Mm. Everyone else is small fry. Uh, his his in game management, although there have been some wobbles in recent months. That has been excellent by and large. United are more tactically sophisticated. They, they, they seem a much more flexible side and there, there are better variations about their play. They they pretty much set up in the same formation all season, but it's it's not rigid. There's there's clearly some, some fluidity about them. And although in, with some of the signings, it's not exactly... Christian Eriksen wasn't an unknown and Casemiro wasn't an unknown, but... Lissandro Martinez would not necessarily have been high up United fans' wish list last summer, and he's been terrific. So his his recruitment hit rate is pretty good. Uh, the, some of the low knees have been pretty 
useful uh, then you've had even you know i suppose again i don't know how martin debravka's got two mentions now but he he wasn't <laughs> useful but by and large when you look at his body of work of recruitment management um, coaching improving players collectively and individually ty said earlier about the the project he's overseeing with rashford which has uh, included some some public discipline as well he's done a brilliant job at united this season and i think it will have been very reassuring for supporters how what what he said after the press conference on on thursday night that um just finishing in the top 4 he said it's not good enough for me um because he was reminded how arsenal became sanguine with just season after season of finishing in the top 4 so they're on the right track and they're in the right pair of hands now it's over to the power brokers to to give him the back in that that he needs and deserves yeah definitely he certainly uh, won over any doubters that's for sure and just lastly to wrap up samuel summed it up perfectly there really tight but obviously everybody talks about casemiro and martinez the impacts they've had size of the season i think eric ten hag is united's signing of the season isn't he with what he's done yeah definitely you know it's um it's gone a lot better, I think, than any of us suggested. And like like a few people mentioned last night and Ten Hag mentioned, this season is a success whether they win that cup final or not. It's obviously going to sting if they don't. If they do, then it's going to be a hell of a success. But to be where they are, especially after the way those first two games went, to have recovered after Brentford is fantastic. And I think if they win on Sunday, I think it'll be their second highest points total in, in the 10 years since Ferguson. I mean, that's a significant improvement from where they were last season. Um, so you have to give him immense credit, really. And I think when he got the job, I think we all had doubts in, in some degree or other compared against Pochettino. I think there were always uncertainties, but he's he's done a fantastic job. And I, I actually listened back to his, um, his first press conference the other day. It was Tuesday, I think, was the, the one-year anniversary of his first press conference. And... Um, yeah, I mean, one of his biggest improvements has been his ability to speak English and, and communicate. His, his press conferences now are an awful lot cleaner and crisper and longer than the um, the first one when he first got the job. And his um, his ability to get his message across, though, was, was obvious that day. A lot of the things he said there have, have kind of panned out and, and they make more sense now a year on than they did on the day when he said it. And yeah, he, he, he has been a, a very shrewd appointment. And I think they deserve, the, the club deserve credit for... For getting it right, basically, that you know, he clearly sold a vision that that John Murtagh and Fletcher and others liked and, and liked what they saw. Pochettino would would probably have been the easier choice given his body of work in the Premier League, but you know they deserve credit for for going with Ten Hag and and whatever they saw in him is is certainly yeah definitely paying. exciting times ahead for the club. That's for sure ahead of the summer and next season and hopefully you know back in the Champions League. More excitement will be around the corner, but uh, that's all we've got time for on this episode of the Manchester is Red podcast. A big thank you as ever to Samuel and Tyrone for joining me this lunchtime. Obviously, it goes without saying that if you enjoyed this podcast and would prefer to watch it as well, we are now available on YouTube. Just search Manchester is Red and you can subscribe to the channel there. And we'll be back to reflect on the final day clash with Fulham and build up to next Saturday's huge FA Cup final at Wembley against City, of course, next week. So have a great weekend and we'll catch you again very, very soon.